0: I didn't come here to worry or wonder hide away under the ground. The heartbeat I hear
1: makes it perfectly clear. Hello and welcome. This is Karen Modokitis and you are listening to How She Really Does It, where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. I believe there are many ways to live life, I believe there are many journeys for us to take. We can learn from others to see what is possible for ourselves. I believe there are possibilities for all of us, not just the ones who have acquired great success, but including those of us who have stumbled, lost our way, or only saw closed doors. With this show, maybe you can now see a glimmer coming through the windows. I call that the windows of possibility. I would love to connect with you at www.howshereallydoesit.com. There you can sign up for my weekly newsletter and get this interview as well as all interviews directly in your inbox, as well as find shows from past guests and insights into how you can reach your full potential. Success, change, inner desires, outside expectations, the journey. Ariane DeBomboizen is a frequent guest of how she really does it. And as she has mentioned in previous interviews, Ariane climbed tall ladders of success. She graduated from the London School of Economics. She earned her MBA at Stanford. She ran a $500 million digital media venture fund. And let's not forget, she was engaged to a man who People Magazine named one of the sexiest men of the year. As she connected more with her personal quest to make a difference, she found her she founded first30days.com and also arianestudio.com. She is a writer, a speaker, and a change optimist. And today we're going to talk about persevering. Ariane, hello and welcome back. One of the things that I see so that happens so often is you know, people want to live that cherish their best life, right? They want to fulfill their dream or their potential and so that they'll sign up for a workshop or to go to a conference or they may read a book right and 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 then they come back and they read that book and their life hasn't changed or they go to that conference or you know they do they do some of this work but it hasn't changed you know what is it that you know about this sort of stumbling block that people face
2: you know what I've found in years of research of um, seeing why some people change and why some people don't, or why some people initiate a change and actually stick with it, and other people maybe just talk about it, they never really get on the court, is the people who are good at change have a very different relationship with time. they They aren't in a rush. they This is not about proving to themselves that they can you know do something within a very quick and limited amount of time. It's not about them feeling like they're late, or they should have done this years ago, or they're too old. So all the time issues, you know, as we think about New Year's resolutions, one of the main reasons why some people get them and some people don't is that they give themselves a much longer runway from which to take off. They don't sort of give up at the first stumbling block. They don't sort of beat themselves up. They allow themselves to be human. They are gentle on themselves they they know at their core that, you know, any change, big change, is is always a combination of a lot of very, very small changes. And I think as human beings we only tend to value and acknowledge these big giant changes we've made in our life. And we don't actually see sort of all the preparation, all the steps and all the small things that needed to happen for us to get there. You know, one of the things I talk about in my book are what I call the change demons. And the change demons are all these emotions that get in the way when you want to make a change and you want to, you know, read a book or integrate something that you've learned into your life. And one of the change demons that shows up is impatience. And the antidote to impatience is not patience. It's not just sitting and waiting and surrendering and expecting that something's going to be different. The antidote to impatience is endurance, which means that you are an active participant. You are also part of this. But it also means that when when things don't go the way you think or when, you know, plans get changed or things take longer, that you keep reminding yourself of why you want this change. Not how you're going to change, not how long it's going to take to change, but why you want to change. Because people who are going to change have a very strong why. I must lose weight because, you know, I'm getting married. And then suddenly it's very easy to lose weight. I must quit smoking because. I'm going to try for children, then it's very easy. When people get hung up on the how, that's when all the other things sort of get in the way and the excuses get in the way and the meanness towards yourself gets in the way. So get very clear on why you want to change. And then the element of time is going to sort of go to its proper place, which is that things are going to happen in divine timing and and you will stick with it. You know That element of perseverance and endurance is actually going to come quite naturally because we're all born with it.
1: And with that time, right, some people may, listening to this, may be saying, well, that's wonderful, but I still have to support my family, so I have to be real, right? And they feel like, okay, they've got to go make this change and maybe go into that dream job, but if I don't get my dream job or if I don't have that, my business doesn't flourish in this way, I still have to go have, find ways to create an income. What do you say to sure. that?
2: Yeah, I, I get asked that question a lot because the, the need to be responsible um, tends to sort of creep up. And it's, it's also sort of the number one go-to reason slash excuse sometimes for people to feel like they're justified to stay stuck in a job. They're justified to suffer. They're justified to be in a bad relationship. And so what I would say to them is, you know, the most important change you can ever make in your life are not external changes. They're not a change in your job. They're not a change in your spouse. They're not a change even in your financial ways. The most important changes you can make are internal changes to begin Mm -hmm. with. Internal changes are how you see yourself. They are your identity. They are things like, you know, I'm a corporate person to I'm an entrepreneur. There's nothing for you to do there. Even just getting to that place where you can actually own it or you go from being I'm a business person to I'm a creative person that already takes time. And it doesn't take financial, it doesn't take responsibility. Doing the inner work always makes any external change much easier and a lot of the times we wanna rearrange all the external pieces and you think the inside's gonna sort of, you know, come along for the journey. And it's the inside that creates the stumbling blocks, and it's the inside that kind of goes, no, 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 that's not who we are, someone's gonna be hurt, someone's gonna get disappointed, someone's gonna think we're crazy and you have all these beliefs that are again internal that sort of stop you from going ahead and even taking the first step. You have a disapproving voice, you have a fear voice, all those emotions get in the way. So I would say for people who do have responsibilities, start making the commitment to, to the inner change, which is stop disapproving of yourself. Start seeing yourself in a new way. Start being kinder on yourself. You know, focus on, focus on who you need to be to then go potentially pursue your dreams. Most people want to skip that step. And <laughs> I find the people who, who have gone through that, you know, who can actually look at themselves in the mirror and be nice to themselves, that, that pursuing your dreams is really easy after that. Because you, you know who you are. You, you can rest in yourself. You you are resilient. You are strong. You are capable. You're, the fear goes down massively when, when you've done that level of self-inquiry. And so... You know, coming back to your first question, pursuing a dream is not a I've gotta leave my job tomorrow. Pursuing your dream is, you know, getting a domain name on the internet. It's reading an article, it's listening to a show like yours. It's it's, you know, getting involved in a group that gets a little bit closer to the thing that you love. It's voicing to other friends and people that this is now something that you're really interested in. And then seeing some of the synchronicities or the invitations or things that you start being aware of, you know, none of those things take money. None of those things they they just need you to be responsible to start actually voicing the direction in which you're going towards because no one's going to figure it out unless you actually start owning it as part of who you are.
1: And I think this is such an important conversation to have as the year is ending and we're going to have, you know, the new year's resolutions coming up in January with people then in March becoming unhappy because they haven't kept their New Year's resolution. So, you know, yeah. it, it just sounds like people, if they can just be kinder to themselves and instead of it has to be, it has to happen this way, it's a six step process and it has to happen in this timeline. And if it doesn't, then I can't go and do this and I've got to go in and do this horrible job or be in this horrible marriage or whatever it is. First, do the inside work.
2: Yeah, you know, one of the things I I often say to people in the new year is the this sort of to do list of New Year's resolutions. I I recommend no one make any resolutions on the of January. <laughs> now I really I, I've I've seen this now for a decade, because it is a bad time of year to start making a change. And there's you know there's so much energy and pressure on getting it right this time and on being perfect. And that's not what change is about. Change is about being human. It's not about getting it right and being perfect. So leave all these people to make New Year's resolutions around you. And when you feel like there's something really inspiring you in your heart to make a change, that's when you make it. It's not when the pressure of the 1st of January, it's not the pressure of other people asking you. That that, that external pressure and the conventional belief that it needs to happen on the 1st of January it doesn't work for most people because most people aren't like being told what to do and by when to do it. <laughs> and the other thing I say too is with New Year's resolutions is it, it's more important for you to decide what you love and how to be this year than it is what you're going to do. I'm going to be really gentle and kind on myself, and I'm going to catch all my disapproval. You will have a radically different year, radically different. You know, it's really important for me to be connected to something greater and to just be in sort of more of my spiritual nature as opposed to my practical to-do and busy nature. And just watch how different you are. Watch how different, you know, a spouse you are, a parent you are, a friend you are. Like, what's how would you like to be during the year? Because everything that's going to happen around that will probably eventually happen.
1: You know, as we're talking about this, I'm reflecting over the last probably 10 years of my life in my own change process, right? Because I believed in a lot of the, the, the striving and, you know, the working really, really hard. And, um, and I still work hard, but it's a different, it's a different flow and it's a different energy. And, but, and being one of those people wanting to go to conference or thinking this book is going to change my life. And, um, and, but a lot of what you've talked about is that interchange inside has also given me great insight into who I am, what are my values and, and then allowing me to be and realizing like, even with the holidays, recently I interviewed Peter Walsh and we were talking about, you know, managing stress during the holidays. And, uh, it, it, it's a simple thing of kind of creating holidays with my family that I wanted. It's taken four or five years to, to put it together right to be clearly to communicate to tweak it to reflect on it and where this past Thanksgiving I so enjoyed it and I looked around and I went wow no drama I I wanted to be with my family to connect and and I that's exactly what I did and um so You know, the things that you're talking about, I look in my own life and and there's so much truth or there's just truth to what you have to say because I've experienced that.
2: And I think, you know, as you say that, what becomes clear for me is that we all have such stories. We have a story about ourselves. We have a story about our family. We have a story about the holiday. We have a story about why we can't lose weight. We have a story about why we can't leave the job. We have a story about the drama that's going to happen during Christmas or the financial issue, or and we're addicted to the story. And so, you know, and then we're surprised that we keep getting the same story over and over and over. (laughs) And the truth is, you know, the story is happening because you're holding the story in place, and because Mm -hmm. what you focus on manifests, and because what you focus on keeps on being proven right. And most people think, "Well, well, it's the truth, it's the fact. No, 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 what's the truth is, you have a story about your mother, You have a story Mm -hmm. about your spouse. You have a story about your teenager. And I really invite people to check in and just go, wow, like it's amazing the stories that I hold about this change I can't do or this person that I keep waiting is going to change or be different. This was very personal in my life. It's just to really look deep at all the stories I carried because a lot of them were not mine. Mm -hmm. A lot of them were, you know, beliefs of my family or beliefs of what I call the tribe beliefs of what I've been told in society about women about women of my age about being whatever Mm -hmm. to really get get clear on what am I convincing myself is the story around this issue that I'm looking at changing because when you drop the story the change is going to happen a hell of a lot easier
1: well and isn't it sometimes people don't even realize that they have these stories right or It just, I
2: didn't believe me. I I didn't realize I had a story about men in New York (laughs) or (laughs) about being single or about losing the weight or about like the stories I had about my family, you know. And they're stories that are decades old. These people are not who you think they are anymore,
0: Mm -hmm. you
2: know. We keep people frozen in these stories and boxes of five, 10, 20 years ago, and you don't even know who the person is in front of you. We have a story about, you know, every client we have. We have a story about our boss, our colleagues. And we keep on experiencing them in the story box. We actually are not experiencing them. You know, I see it with the people I've helped change. We have a story about finding a new job in this economy. Mm -hmm. It's a story. There Mm -hmm. are people finding jobs in this economy. Mm
0: -hmm. They're just
2: not buying into the story, or they don't even know the story. Sometimes it's easier when you don't know what you don't know. And it takes real honesty and real humility to face the story because it's a lot easier to blame something outside and to blame the men in new york or to blame the colleague or the boss
0: Mm -hmm. it takes
2: real humility and to even ask your friends and your family what's the story you keep hearing me tell because i guarantee you they know your story and they're bored with your story but they're probably not being given permission to tell you what the story is because you keep on telling them
1: Oh, that's good advice for people just to go and ask their friends or family, what is the story that I continue to tell?
2: Yep. Yeah. I did that, and it was a painful experience, but it radically changed my life. How did, how
1: did, how were you able to receive the story that your friends told you and your close ones?
2: Well, the story was I'm single, and there's no available men in New York, and the men in New York don't want relationships. They want sex. And I'm intimidating to men, and like it was a giant story. It had a lot of different chapters to it. and I thought I was very justified, you know, I'd been on dates, and they didn't go well, and I was telling one of my best friends this story, and you know, she stopped me, and she goes, "Stop, stop, stop! I cannot hear the story again. I'm bored with your story. I'm done. I can't hear it anymore." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh my God, this is like one of my best friends, and she's super happily married. How dare she?" You know, she doesn't know what it's like, but it is true, and it is true, so I felt very resistant. And then, you know, she's she's a, you know, a great sort of coach teacher herself, and she said, no. She goes, I'm done. If you want a new story, she goes, I promise you there are available men in New York, and there are spiritual men in New York, and there are men who really are looking for their beloved in New York, but when your filter is your filter, that's all you're going to see.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: I was angry, and I was angry a little bit at myself. And angry at her because I didn't feel, you know, she knew what it felt like. And I let it sink in, and then I saw the the truth of it. And it's never nice to feel the truth, but that's where the humility comes in. And it's not, I'm going to try something else because what I'm doing isn't working. And I am going to let in the feedback, and I am going to let in a friend who truly has my best interests at heart. You know, and within a year, I mean, I've met my absolute biggest love and beloved man and... But I had to become a different person. I didn't have to project, oh, my God, I'm going to intimidate this man or, oh, my God, I need a certain kind of man. Like all that stuff needed to be dropped. All my stories, even about the kind of man I should be with, needed to be dropped.
1: Mm-hmm. So say more about when you were in that stage of anger, you're feeling that anger from your friend, right, from what she had said. Where did that, Well, go ahead.
2: No, go ahead. You finish the
1: question. Um, so when you felt that, because sometimes people feel that anger and maybe possibly shame, right? Mm-hmm. And they'll flee. They'll go into that lizard brain and they'll either fight, flight, fight, 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 or freeze, mm-hmm. right? And so, um, and a lot of people, when especially if there's shame involved, they'll run away. What kept you, I guess, from keep, staying in that friendship with this friend.
2: Yeah. Um a couple of things. One, I I 100% knew that um her intention was positive. And you know, whether I have a disagreement with my boyfriend, I always go back to I know this person loves me deep down. I know his intention is totally positive and it gets me to a place of be feeling neutral. It gets me to a place of not putting on the attack and not putting on the resistance and not having any shame go on because I I assume that there is a gift in this. I assume there's something really positive. And I, you know, as a lifelong devotee of learning and improvement, I assume there's something in here for me and there's something for me to look at deeply. And the resistance I'm having is such a sign that there's something here for me to learn because clearly they've pushed a button. They didn't put the button there. The button has been there in me all along. They they just happen to find the button and push it. And that is a gift because when someone pushes a button of yours, you get to look at what the button is. Why did not that person make me so angry? Why did that bring up so much anger for me? Nothing to do about the other person. And to me, it was it wasn't so much shame. It was more not feeling like she was compassionate, not feeling that she could understand, not feeling that she was willing to get in the hole with me. And the truth is, you know, when people around you are one of the number one sources of why you change or why you don't change, you know, it's another one of the change principles. It's like, who really is on your change support team? Because a lot of the people around you, they get in the hole with you. You're right, Ariane. guys are fill in the blank. Or mm-hmm. you're right, your boss is such a jerk, or I can't believe he cheated on or whatever it is. And you get a lot of friends who agree with you and then they make you drink and then they make you eat and then they distract you because they actually cannot handle and hold and be with what's going on for you. And most people gravitate to those kind of people when they change because at least they get agreement and they can be justified. But I promise you when your head hits the pillow after having spent time with those people, you don't feel so good because nothing's actually changed. You're still stuck in your pool of emotions. And the other type of friends, which was this friend in New York for me, are what I call ladder friends. They see you in the hole, and they they can hear you and listen to you, and they give you the opportunity to really voice what's going on, and then they send you a ladder. They don't try and fix you, but they see you out of the hole. They encourage you, they inspire you, they believe in you, they tell you who you really are, they remind you you're not your story, you're not your beliefs, you're not the change, you're not even the person you're in a relationship with. Those are the people you want to get around you. And we, we you know, those people are not easy to be around sometimes because you want to stay in your suffering. Sometimes it's a lot easier. But for me, there was a real sense of I so wanted to look at what was going on for me in my personal life that I was willing to take, you know, help from anywhere. And if it hurt as much as it did at the time, it had to be hitting a truth.
0: Mm-hmm. And now
2: I'm so highly sensitive, and I have antenna on my head where when I listen to people, I can hear their story that's keeping them stuck. It's it's so clear to me. And, you know, it's in our blind spot. It was in my mm-hmm. blind spot. I couldn't, I couldn't see it. I had to get around someone else for them to reflect it back to me.
1: Oh, I so agree with you about that, because we we do have blind spots. And, um, and being being careful about who you surround yourself with, especially... If I believe if you're trying to make a change, if you're trying to reach your full potential, right, and your deep connection of what it is that you want. Um, when you talked about, so you had the latter friends, do you have a name for the other type of friend who get in the hole with you?
2: Yeah, I just call them the get in the hole friends or yeah. the latter friends. not very professional no it's memorable
1: no i like that because then we could talk about the get in the whole friends because when you when you have the get when you surround yourself with the get in the whole friends and you want change do you really create change
2: no you get nothing you get agreement with who hurt you or who angered you or who upset you and you might get some hugs and you might get a lot of ice cream and you might get people who are trying to numb your feelings because they don't know what to do with them but they're not people who who are willing to have the courage to take a stand and sort of say you know what sweetie I know I know this is hard for you I understand I've been there or I can see that this is really painful and this is you know a hard time for you and it, it's gonna get better and it's not who you are and let's go for a walk or let's go to a yoga class or they send you an inspiring article or a quote in the morning or, you know, they go get a green juice with you or they're, they're already seeing you as having come through this. You know, they're not willing to see you as this broken, hurt, angered, you know, half version of yourself. They're already sort of seeing you as, as what's actually going to get through on the other side. And those people are a blessing. You know, they they really... They're willing to do whatever it takes for you to remind you of, of your truth. And they're not the ones that are going to take you and drown you in alcohol. Mm-hmm. And they're not the ones who are going to, you know, suggest things that are not going to be sort of really empowering. And I tell you, I this is one of the strongest sort of cleanup things that I've done in my life is to be really careful of who I spend time with. And it doesn't mean I avoid my parents or my family or even some of my closest friends. It just means that when some sort of change or crisis or transition is coming up for me, they're not my speed dial. They're mm-hmm. not. You know, they're not necessarily... I'm not necessarily going to call someone in my family because I know they're going to worry. They're not They're not up for me changing. They're going to worry a week after I'm already finished with it. But most people, y- you've got to be really careful about who you want to have be part of what I call your change support team because they are not usually your closest friends and family they're not the blessing is when you are going through change life tends to bring you brand new people who they don't know who you are they don't know how many times they've tried you've tried to lose weight they don't know you know your stories they just see the version of you today and so there's no background there's no regrets there's no you know she's tried five times before to do this and there's sort of this new and fresh and encouraging energy. And sometimes it's much easier to be honest and to share with someone who doesn't know you so well because mm-hmm. you have a freedom to be. You have a freedom to be someone different. People are not keeping you stuck in the identity that they know you to
1: be. That's, you know, that's so fascinating. It's so true and it's just so fascinating when you put it together like that. Um, the change support team is not necessarily your fami- family family or close friends because they're stuck in their stories about who you are Mm -hmm. or they're stuck in their stories about what family vision you're supposed to fulfill. Correct.
2: Correct. And the other thing too, is, you know, they, they are quite vested in you staying the same because the number one thing that they fear is if you go through any change, what's it going to threaten your connection with them Mm -hmm. or your similarity to them? You know, if, if, someone in your circle of friends goes off and pursues their dream and they, f- they had the courage to leave a job that they hated, the next time you spend time with them, you're not going to feel too good about yourself because they are a giant walking mirror of possibility
0: mm-hmm. and of
2: courage. And you're going to feel like you want to avoid them and you don't really want to spend time with them. And so their, their vested interest is to keep you in the group, keep you in the group that smokes, keep you in the group that, you know, is in a job they don't like, if you're the person that finally had the courage to leave a relationship that wasn't right, same thing, you know, anyone sort of in the circle that has something similar going on, you're walking around now as an example. And and people people don't like change. They don't like change around them and they certainly don't like their own change. You know, we all like things to somewhat stay the same, even the stuff that's hard and suffering in some ways that's easier for us.
1: So it reminds me of a story when, um, (laughs) a story when I was an undergrad and, uh, I stopped drinking alcohol. And, um, had I realized this prior, I would have done this because when you stop drinking alcohol, it's amazing the amount of volumes of free alcohol you get offered. And, um, and it was, people were very uncomfortable when I wouldn't drink or I would say, no, thank you. And, um, and I one of the things that I learned from this is kind of was what you're talking about is that when I stopped drinking, even though there was no judgment about what other people did, it was a, it was just a personal choice for me. They did not want to have to look in the mirror themselves, mm-hmm. right? Because I was not conforming to what a typical college student did as an undergrad, right. and and then I see that with families or with peer groups or jobs or income levels or education. Right. If we don't conform, then, well, I have to now look at who I am and we, you know, because and it's not even that it wasn't that I went around to tell everybody, you must stop drinking. It's really bad for you or, you know, any of that stuff, or these are the signs of an alcoholic blackouts. Right. I didn't do any of that. I just realized that this was probably not a good fit for me. Cool. And, um, and,
2: you know, you are resonating with their inner voice because. You know, we're born with truth inside of us. We're born with what I call the inner microphone that's constantly telling us our truth. You're in the wrong job. You're drinking too much. you got to lose some weight. You're sleeping with the wrong guy. And so when you go ahead and change anything that resonates with their inner voice, their inner microphone gets louder. And it's uncomfortable for people because they're spending their whole time sort of, you know, trying to quiet down the inner microphone that's trying to get their attention. They know the truth you know no one no one's born smarter or less smart everyone has truth and wisdom and intuition insight that never goes away and people who are making changes tend to make that inner intuition for other people much louder and that's why it gets uncomfortable and you know I'm such a believer that if you really want to start making changes you don't need one more workshop, you don't need another retreat, you don't need another book, and you're talking to someone who's read thousands (laughs) and gone to retreat, you know, in 60 countries around the world. You honestly, you just need to go inside and start getting honest with yourself. Mm -hmm. What am I not being honest about? And just watch, watch what the heart tells you, because it'll tell you exactly. And it's not, you know, there's a point for people who are very committed to learning, where it actually becomes an excuse and a distraction to go get one more tool Mm -hmm. and one more suggestion. And yet, on the inside, you need a blank piece of paper if you want a journal, and you need to look at, okay, if there's one thing that's important for me to focus on in the next year, what is it? You don't need five New Year's resolutions. If I want to be sure of one thing happening in 2013, what would it be? Because I guarantee you, when you are focused on the one thing, then you get it. You know, that's another thing. We take on so many changes at once. I promise you, you will get the one thing that is most important to you. You always do. Most people get their work because their work is the most important thing to them in the year. You know, no one doesn't get that eventually. So we have these unconscious sort of commitments that we make. And the invitation really is to start being very conscious about the commitments you're making. And that does include, you know, being still, sitting in silence get on a mat stop going to a workshop stop reading the book just go inside and listen and it will be uncomfortable for some people which is why most people avoid meditation or they come up with you know i don't even have time it, i say this all the time if you do not have 15 minutes of time during the day there's something wrong with your day because you always find time to eat three times a day <laughs> you always find time to facebook you always find time to email It's just what's on top of your list, because when you're in tune with actually what your body's truth and wisdom is, that's when your life starts changing. You know, that's where you find your courage. That's where you stop ignoring yourself. That's where you start liking yourself, because you realize you're not living this sort of, you know, fake life where you've got a version of an external life and a version of an internal life that aren't talking to each other.
1: Well, and don't you, don't you think, I think that, because um, there's some clients that I will have and I say, You're, you don't read another book, right? Just focus on the practice. Keep practicing this because the, 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 their pattern is, oh, I need to go get this book or I need to go do this workshop. And then once I get that information, then I can sit down and start practicing. And I'm, and I'm like, well, let's just start practicing right now. You know, let's cool. get inside. Why not, why not write? And the same things that you talk about, get connected with oneself. But don't you also think that there's kind of um, uh, different shades, right? There there are the workshops, there's the learning, there's shows like this or whatever. But it, it can help, especially on those days where you need evidence that, you know, that yes, change is possible or that there is a different way to do it. You know, something to kind of lean on on those tough days that we have as we go through this process of personal change.
2: Oh, I'm a big believer in that. I think one of the the most important things I tell people is that the people who are good at change, you know, are not alone,
0: mm-hmm. and
2: they don't sort of just sort of cut off from the world and decide that they're the only one going through this change and they need to make it happen. I mean, I I would be nowhere <laughs> without sort of the the friends and the teachers and the guides and the people I lean on. I think the difference is. I call on those people very quickly. There's no shame. There's Mm -hmm. no upset. There's no embarrassment. There's no fear. There's no nothing. And I know when when things start getting shaky for me, I send like three or four texts to three or four people. And whoever calls me back is perfect and the right person.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: But I don't sort of go, oh, my God, I'm going to disturb them. And what if and where are they? And no, no, no. I actually give people the opportunity to lift me up. And I give them the opportunity to help me because it's a lovely feeling to know that you've helped someone.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: I, I don't assume that I know the answer. And I don't assume that I can self coach myself, you know, even though people are like, oh, Ariane, you must be so good at change. No, it's, it's just hard <laughs> for me, too. You know, uh, uh, y- you're learning all along the way. And so there are things in my environment that I've made sure, you know, my physical space where I live, where I work is it, very inspirational. It's very uplifting the music is the photos are the quotes are the, the food is you know those those things, things matter because when your internal environment is shaky, when your external environment is positive and uplifting, it makes a big difference. you know I, I sign up to some things on the on the internet that I know are going to help me on a day-to-day basis. I look forward to seeing them in my email. Mm-hmm. They're sort of you know little little ladders you know just in case I'm, I am in a hole by myself. So those are very conscious choices. I don't really read the news, you know. That's a just descent into the hole. Like, why would I want to read fear first thing in the morning? <laughs> but again, it's it's a conscious decision of how I want my internal and external world to be, and it's not it's not very conventional. And I think what makes change hard for people is there's a lot of conventional beliefs out there you've got to stay in this job and you've got these kids and you've got to be married by this age and you've got to own a home and you've got to look a certain way and it's sort of, that's the hardest change is just to get away from the conventional beliefs that you think are going to make you feel good or make you feel successful because I'm a walking example of getting a lot of those conventional beliefs and being the most miserable I've ever been in my life
0: mm-hmm.
2: and I think you ask most people, you know, who who have some sense of feeling fulfilled and it, it it was never about what society or religion or their parents or anyone expected from them. Not at all. It was always about them tuning into, you know, what needed to come through them. It wasn't even what they decided. It's what they felt called to be or called to do.
1: Last week, I interviewed um, an Olympic swimmer, and uh, he was actually my one of my husband's athletes, and... His, it was, you know, an against the odds story about how he made the Olympic team, but we were going through the race when he qualified at the Olympic trials. And afterwards, I was talking to my husband this weekend and I said, you know, there was a lot of the principles that, of people that I interview, a lot of researchers that I interview, whether it's Carol Dweck's growth mindset or, um, you know, Dan Coyle talking about the talent code and that talent isn't born, right? It's it's created yeah. and it comes all through practice, kind of what you're talking about here, but there was one point where he was talking about the race and, and the, what came up in my mind was it was almost like delusion because he was in this place instead of, um, it, you know, we can talk about it being perceptual blindness, but some people would say, well, you were just delusional to where he was in the race and what he was able to see. He actually mm-hmm. thought he was pretty close in the race. When he when he watched the replay, he realized he was actually he found out how far behind he was. And then he went on to win the race and set an Olympic trials record. But yeah. and, and that's the power of the mind. Right. And mm-hmm. and but he also talked about being really reflective. Right. It wasn't something that he tried to do in a moment. I mean, it's been, an, I think, an 18 year career. And, um, you know, he's worked with my husband for seven years and he had a lot of blind spots. You know, and having somebody who, as you talk about, would be the ladder friend. You know, my husband was more the ladder coach, right? He would mm-hmm. he would work with him and and um, and push him, and he you know wouldn't say, "Oh, you're just so wonderful." Like he had those people. He had his parents who love him unconditionally. Yeah. He has his girlfriend who thinks he's you know wonderful, and then he had other people that were like, "Hey, this is what you're capable of," or "You know what? This isn't this isn't good enough. You're better than yeah. this." Yeah. And um, so a lot of what he talked about, I find resonating with what you're talking about here as we go through change. And I just see so often people fleeing at the first sign of discomfort, either in their own process of change or being one of the support members, right? Whether it's a friend, say you're going through a crisis or you wanted to leave a job, right? Or maybe you got laid off your job. And the friend may be there that first day, but they may not be there that third week or that sixth week when it gets really hard. Yeah. What? That's
2: very true. I mean, I, you know, I wrote an article um, called The Woodpecker Syndrome. Mm-hmm. And uh, I I really, uh, I was having a bit of a hard time, I think it was about a year ago, and just sort of new ideas and new things that I was creating. and And I sort of had to remind myself that, you know, all change is being like a woodpecker, which is you pick this giant tree and you're this tiny little woodpecker with a tiny beak. And everything would tell you you're completely crazy. There's no way (laughs) this woodpecker is going to get down this giant oak tree. And the funny thing, Karen, is, you know, all the other animals in the forest, i.e. all your friends and all your family go, you're crazy. Mm -hmm. There's no way that woodpecker is going to make that tree fall. And there's one thing the woodpecker does. You know, he'll he'll start plucking away at some place, and the beak is going to hurt. I promise you. I've never interviewed a woodpecker, but I promise you his beak hurts. It's not normal if it doesn't. But he does something over and over and over. He keeps going back to the same place. He doesn't try and approach the tree in 50 different ways, i.e. 50, 50 different books or 50 different <laughs> retreats and workshops. He goes back to the same one, and he sticks with it because any workshop and any book and any show and any retreat and any teacher is a way for you to get there because they're only opening a door. They're just showing you one way, and then it's really up to you and how long you stay with it. But I remember thinking, you know what? My beak hurts like hell, and I have zero sign of having even taken away anything of this tree. I've taken a 1,000 meetings. I don't know if this is right, but I actually am going to keep it going. And the amazing thing is the tree does fall, and you don't know when it's going to fall and you don't know you know how loudly it's going to fall and you don't know how long it's going to take for you to make it fall but the tree falls it always does and most you know most of us we go to the next tree or we go to a much smaller tree or we go to the tree we don't really want to go to <laughs> or we get discouraged because people in the forest tell you you know that's crazy that's impossible and so we let all of that stuff in And so I'm a big believer in just sort of, you know, my friends call me the little woodpecker sometimes. And I thought, let me just write a little story about this, because it felt very personal. And it also felt like, you know, if I start putting timelines on anything that I want to achieve, that's an ego goal. It's not what I call a soul goal, S-O-U-L, it's an ego goal. It's me trying to show and prove and go, Look what I did in two thousand and twelve. How amazing am I? You know, and look how quickly I did it. And I was able to release another book and here's it's very ego driven.
0: Mm-hmm. As
2: opposed to saying, you know what, it might take me three years to put my next book out. Who cares? Who cares?
0: Mm-hmm. Really?
2: My ego cares. Sorry, Ann, what have you been doing this year? Well, not much to show for. Right? On the outside. Mm -hmm. So when the outside is the only thing that matters, change is really painful (laughs) when the inside is what matters and when you kind of know, no, you know, I'm learning and I'm writing and I'm rewriting and I'm thinking about something differently and I'm becoming someone different who can then write a different kind of book. Then there's no sort of, you know, meanness towards how long it's taking for you to have the tree fall. Mm
0: -hmm. Then
2: it's about the joy of going back to the same tree, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: trying something new, trying something a little bit different. You know, taking care of your beak, taking care of yourself, which is such a big one for going through change. Most people, you know, forget about themselves and they get obsessed with their change and their level of self care and, you know, taking care of their health. Let's just start with that, you know, which is the foundation of any change, goes out the window. Well, where's the energy? Where's the enthusiasm? Where's the light? Where's the motivation? Where's the. None of that's there because. that that taking care of yourself even isn't part of your change that
1: has to be there when you're talking about time and trees falling is that is are you referring to time as um letting go of the outcome yes completely
2: i'm referring to the goal is not to get the tree to fall the Mm -hmm. goal is to really get in tune with what it is you most want and what it is that inspires the heart and what it is that feels like that giant oak tree that is unmovable, and you don't even know where to start, and that's the right one. Mm-hmm. And because when you do start, things do move, and sometimes other people come, and they come and get, pull down the tree with you, you know. And sometimes synchronicities happen, and sometimes the trees easier to have, you know, come down. So to to really sort of allow yourself to get in touch with what you want and what you love and and what it is you are willing to go back and do sort of on a daily basis and it's not it's not the should goal it's not oh i should (laughs) because that's not very motivating it's just not you're you're never going to go back to that tree you know it's that thing that has to come through you and most of us it's so sad but most of us it's, it's so buried And we've never given ourselves permission to listen to it and we haven't talked about it and we've never assumed that we could even ever get close to it or it's too late or we don't have the education or we don't have the money or we don't know how to start you know and all those things just like lock down the dreams. I mean my parents never asked me what I loved or what I wanted to do like really truly what I wanted to do and it took me a few decades to uncover that you know Mm -hmm. I think there's quicker ways to do it now but I was very much, you know, on the safe route. And this is the kind of work you do, and this is the kind of guy you date, and this is what, all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, a lot of us are are wired to conform and fit in, and that's sort of the life we get. (laughs) And then we suffer. And then (laughs) we suffer, and we suffer a lot. And then things, you know, life is always on your side, so life wakes you up, and then you get fired. And then you (laughs) you're so unlucky. You know, but the truth is you hated the job. How are you unlucky? You hated the job. You know, that's life on your side. Or, you you know, you hate your spouse and then he cheats on you and leaves or she cheats on you and leaves. No, mm-hmm. that's life on your side conspiring for you getting to your real beloved or the real job you wanted to be doing in this lifetime. That That's the difference. It's sort of going when you stop listening to yourself, life has to sort of intervene in quite tough ways sometimes. And it appears mean and horrible. Why did this happen to me? You know, get down on your knees sometimes and go, thank God that happened. Because I wasn't living a true and honest life anyway back then. Mm -hmm. You know, thank God that sort of got in the way. Thank God I didn't get that job at that company I didn't really want. (laughs)
1: Well, so I want to go back to your woodpecker story, because I think that's such a great story. And, um, you know, like what we've been talking about here, the woodpecker doesn't get distracted and say, oh, I need to go off and do this retreat, or doesn't sit on the sideline and go, well, should I, should I go and peck at this tree? Or maybe I shouldn't, or maybe there'd be another tree to go peck at, or it's taking too long, right? It doesn't have all this talk, the change demons, yeah. you know, we getting in our own way. The woodpecker goes, tree, peck. Okay, day's yeah. done. Go rest, right? Yeah. Or go eat. It doesn't have the language, probably, capabilities that we have that actually get in our way.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're talking to the, the inner dialogue, and the, the the self-talk and the overthinking. It's the worst thing we feed ourselves. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's the foundation of all and every change. I mean, when I when I talk and I lead workshops, I sort of say if I was to build the house of change in front of you, the very foundational bricks would be your inner talk your the way you think, your beliefs and I get people to just watch and observe um, their overthinking and their analyzing and their fixing and their, their just the obsession with the mind you know, you might not be addicted to porn or smoking or you know, drugs or alcohol but you are addicted to your mind. And I tell you, it's just bad. It might not have the same physical impact, but emotionally it's a huge block. And I think allowing yourself to see the addiction to the mind and see the addiction to the fixing and the figuring out and the, you know, not resting, which is the other thing. You have to be resting when you're going through change. Most people are like, when the tree falls, then I'll rest. When I get promoted, I'll rest. When my college, my Kids are in college. I'll rest. When I find my soulmate, I'll rest. Guess what? It's like you never rest. You look at people around you, like no one's resting. Mm -hmm. And and that's a big problem. It's very much, you know, it's very much in this country where I find the the lack of like just rest with what has actually been done today, what's been done this year, this week, whatever it is. It's uh, it's a big difference with people who who. You know keep going and have the endurance and have that that woodpecker sort of mentality that the, of course the woodpecker rests and of course you know you, you have to and we tend to to sort of overthink and overact and overdo and you know then the tree becomes the enemy you don't even want to go back there
1: and so what about because earlier you talked about how it's important to reflect or to you know get down and write on the white piece of paper So again, are we talking about, like I, I talk about how it's a continuum or that there's shades of color. It's not black and white thinking, right? Where, Mm -hmm. um, don't, don't do retreats or do retreats. It's maybe you, maybe you go to some retreats that work for you and you, and you learn and you get a nugget or, you know, don't, don't analyze and, but totally analyze, right? And I think of it being in, in that, I call it now the shades of color, I used to call it the gray area between black and white thinking, but really the shades of color, right? Because the color green can have so many shades, but about, you know, there's a difference between, I guess, analyzing too much and being reflective. Tell me where I'm wrong. Yeah.
2: Mm, I don't think it's right or wrong. I mean, a, I try to go beyond the sort of right wrong concept. <laughs> but um, what, what I would say is the more in tune we are, you are with yourself, mm-hmm. the more you are going to know what you need. Are you mm-hmm. going to need a massage? Are you going to need a silent retreat as opposed to a getting up and dancing retreat?
0: Mm-hmm. Are
2: you going to need you know, to go to a dance class because you haven't been moving and you're stuck in your head? So to me, the more you do your self-inquiry, the more the body will say, we need a walk, we need water, we need to go swimming, we need to go running, we need to stop going to the gym and go to a yoga class. You know, it's sort of it's sort of really being in tune. And to me, the, the more you are, the more you can sort of listen into what the body is asking for. Like I find towards the end of 2012, it is a time of resting. It's a time of stopping. It's not a time of doing and craziness and busyness. Mm-hmm. You know, th- there's so much happening in the world, externally, internally, visibly, invisibly, that just giving people permission to just sort of, it's not even slow down, it's just sort of just... Remove themselves from the busyness and the addiction towards that
0: mm-hmm.
2: that's when I mean I'll be I'll be i I can tune in even you know when I go out to the to a restaurant and I can literally I'm so in tune with my body that I will know what my body is asking for food wise. It's not an ego decision. My body will say we want salmon or we need avocado or actually no, we want some greens we so even that you know every part of it, it's realizing that there is something inside of you that is your absolute very best friend and it's constantly trying to guide you and get your attention and that it is not your mind because your mind does not know your mind can only go to what happened in the past what happened yesterday and make you know conclusions based on that it has no idea what the future is going to be like and this goes you know to more of a spiritual belief of mine which is there is a part of you that is way, way beyond and wiser than this mind, and we live in a society where what's recognised is our intellect and our mind and what we say and what we do. It, it, the, this other part of us, whatever you want to call it, you know, your higher self, your higher, you know, connection to something, the part of you that doesn't change. It's always there. It's always witnessing. It's always, but it's silent. It's it's way quieter. It doesn't, you know, kick up a fight if you do something. But it's always silently there, ready for you the minute you ask it. But because the mind is so much louder, we assume that that must have the answer. The intuition is always speaking quite softly, but it never goes away. That's the sign. It's always kind of always there, and we ignore it, and we ignore it, and we ignore it, and we ignore it. it.
1: Well, isn't our intuition our inner wisdom?
2: Sure. It's, you know, to me, I I would call it wisdom. I'd call it insight. I'd call it grace speaking through us. I'd call it, you know, our our connection to all that is, which is at some level we have access to all the answers, and, and we do know. And we do know how to heal, and we do know how to repair and forgive, and we do know, so that that whatever you want to call it it's um it's asleep, you know it's it's so far buried beneath the intellect, beneath the mind, beneath this this learning society that we're in, which is you know more use of the brain and more use of the intellect, and more use of learning and and that's why you know when people read books and it goes to their head, that's great but but your bones don't know it mm-hmm. you know I mean i have read dozens of books where I can tell you everything you know I've
0: mm-hmm. a good memory
2: and i I read books very quickly, but have I integrated any of that, that mm-hmm. do my my bones actually know it? Have I experienced it? No, of course not. and that's why you go get one more book and one more book in the <laughs> hope that what you're actually looking to feel is going to be different. And you've got to bypass the... the, You know, because sometimes these books can start getting quite repetitive because mm-hmm. the mind goes, I've read this before. And the simplicity of it sometimes is just sort of going, I'm done with the books for however it is, and all I'm going to do is find silent time for the next 30 days. And and that'll be your practice.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And then just actually see what, what starts... What starts happening, because all the books are pointing to the same direction, I mean they all are you know they they to me a lot of them are just getting back in touch with our strength and our wisdom and our clarity and our connection and and our ability to heal and our ability to know and when you keep giving up your own power for power outside of you, you don't feel too good.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I can speak about this forever because I was such a devotee of you know. Teachers and teachers and more teachers. I mean, sort of. When do you ever step into the fact that there is, you know, massive wisdom inside of you? I mean, even children have it. Children know exactly what's right for them. You know. But then, as parents, we're constantly taking away that inner wisdom from them. We're telling them. We're teaching them.
1: So you're moving in the direction that I was already thinking it was about permission, right? The woodpecker. Mm-hmm doesn't ask for permission can i go and peck this tree yeah
2: no absolutely and i think you know we we live in a world where we're also addicted to approval and praise and sitting in and love from other people and when we go through a change you know a lot of those things can be affected we might feel some disapproval from someone we might feel some from someone else. We might not get permission or the praise that we want and it's a matter of going, you know, well, well, what is most important? Is it sort of getting approval from my parents that I left a massive job in New York City or is it actually, you know, having a good night's sleep and having my conscience finally you know, give me a break because I've made the right decision? Mm-hmm. And your parents do get there and, you know, the person who is disapproving is only disapproving because they're reflecting a part of you that you're not sure yet because when you're really sure you can go, you know what mom, I know this looks crazy and I know this looks scary and I know you're going to think I'm wasting my education and I feel really good about this I really feel, you know, it's going to take time and I'm a little nervous and I really am going to ask you for your support and I'd, I'd love for you to sort of get behind me and blow some wind in my sails and I I, I want to do this, it's important to me and then watch how different the reaction is but when you start being angry at her and mean at her and kind of you know wanting her to be different, you're just resonating where she's at.
0: Mm-hmm. It
2: just is a reflection of what's going on for you because when you when you frame it differently for the people around you because you're over that hump, and it's then you can kind of bring them to your side, and they want to be on your side. You know, they they don't want to be in the fear. They want to be on the okay. I if she's asking for support. I can give her that.
1: Well, and as you've gone on your different paths, have you felt that your your journey from you know London School of Economics or Stanford MBA or running a digital media venture fund, do you consider that a waste or have you been able to take nuggets from that and apply it into your life now?
2: Oh, absolutely. Uh, to me, none of it is a waste because I find that the, the place from where I can speak today, whether it's to... People in business, or people who, you know, been with the wrong, in the wrong relationship, or people who were really brought up in a very tribal structure of this is what you should do, and you have to be perfect, and you have to be good enough, and like I can speak to that from my bones. You know, it's not because I've written a book or read a book about it. It is deep, deep inside of me, and it comes with experience and tears and anger and really having to come through it. And there's no way I could be in the place I am today as a speaker, as an author, as, as everything that I, I'm hoping to be and continue to be, where it's not really personal. And, you know, I'm so grateful to my parents for having started me off on that journey so that I could, you know, be free of it in some ways. And to to know that I I had to you know, unhook from the conventional beliefs and the conventional structures, personally, professionally, financially, in really all the areas of my life. To me, if I had one waste, it's the waste of time that I spent overthinking or over worrying or like that. That was a waste. Yeah, <laughs> because it didn't work out so bad. And, you know, the, the fears and the overthinking, I could have been doing better things with that. Sure but they were not about the things that life were getting me to experience. And even those, you know, I mean, I say it in a half-joking way because there's no disapproval to the part of me that was doing that because I can also relate to people who who are in their inner dialogue and are in the fear and despair and are in the sadness and the stuckness because it's very familiar for me, Mm -hmm. you know. And um, I might have made it look easy, but I can tell you, like, the 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 humanity it runs through all of us and some people might make it look easy but I promise you there's 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 sort of deep deep you know things lessons wounds that that are always within each and every one of us there's one thing I've learned from traveling as much as I have and interviewing people f- from around the world is we are incredibly similar <laughs> we are not different on this level. And, you know, we, we worry and we all want love and we all want to feel safe and we all want to feel we're in control and those things are just part of the human experience.
1: Well, Ariane, thank you so much for coming back on my show and talking about this important topic for it to help people go through their own process of change. So I really, really appreciate it. And I know in 2013, you have a new project that's coming out. Do you care to share it with the listeners? Of
2: course it's uh this has been one that I feel has been wanting to come through and I am um, I wanted to find a way to help people um to really integrate and be conscious and be mindful during their day. So not when they have time to read the book or go to yoga or meditate or go on a retreat but really how do you live consciously a day at a time? And what I decided to do is to create an app for the iPhones and and we also created it as a daily email for people who don't have the fancy iPhones. But it was a way to sort of keep people conscious in all the areas that sometimes we can fall asleep to, which is, you know, our relationship to money, our relationship to our our health and our weight, our relationship to our parents, our relationship to our spouse, our friends, our relationship to something greater, where every day the, the, the technique or a practice or something is sent to you to just keep you committed and to keep you on track. Because what I found for myself is it's hard to make the loop, the, the leap from, you know, book to it into my life or amazing weekend workshop to now what do I do? I'm going back to work. And I wanted to find little ways of just keeping people conscious, keeping people awake daily, 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 over and over and over. And it's a little bit of a woodpecker syndrome but in an iPhone app. So the iPhone app is called Mindful365. Um, it'll be available in the iTunes Store at some point in January, and also on the website mindful365.com for anyone who doesn't have um, who doesn't have the iPhone. Um, but it's been an exciting project. I wrote the 365 pieces of content um, that are going to be sent to people, just a day at a time, because when you can park the mind on something and actually give it something to focus on, something to do, your year will be completely different. And it's a you know it's a beautiful different sort of New Year's resolution to make, which is I'm going to be mindful. I'm going to be just conscious for a year and just watch how different your life is.
1: And I will have those links up on my website as well. So where this interview is. Well, Ariane, thank you for being a guest again. And um, to 2013 when I'll have you back.
2: <laughs> thank you, Corinne. Always a pleasure. I could I could talk to you for a lot, lot longer. So all the best and blessings on all your listeners as well.
1: All right. Take care. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us today. Go to HowSheReallyDoesIt.com to sign up to receive this interview as well as future interviews in your inbox.
0: Early morning, fog is lifting. She's in a rowboat on a lake. She is dreaming.